Hello, listeners. I'm Bridget. And I'm Caroline. And I'm Andy. You are listening to the Hearth, Home, and Homicide podcast, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I usually narrate each story, and son and brother Andy is our producer, but today it's going to be all three of us. Now, maybe I shouldn't have said that right up front because that'll make you turn everything off, but please don't because we have a special (laughs) treat in store for you today. As Caroline and Andy and I talk about this family murder, we're we're very sensitive to the victims in this story and all of the families uh, in mind. And so with that, I will warn you that our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. So now I'm going to start with you, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's really thrilling to be on this side of the mic. Yeah. Um, it's nice to um hear your guys' voices and see your faces, though the listener can't see your faces. They're great faces. We should just um, charge a lot of money and then let them see our faces. But thank you, thank you. Ah, that'd be a fun little event. Yeah. So we would get arrested, but in the meantime, we'd have money anyway. Caroline, yeah. what about you? How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. It's uh, summer is winding down. Soon school will start. Yeah. Life's in transition. Oof. Just trying to enjoy every minute. How many of you bought your school supplies in a store and how many of you bought your school supplies on Amazon? Oh, I bought them. Uh, we, bought our, uh, we bought our school supplies at the uh, Office Max that's shutting down next yeah. to the... Um, Next Trader to the Trader Joe's? Joe's down here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're shutting down and they have like 70% oh. off. So Julian actually took Theo, just the boys, nice. and bought Theo all of his school supplies this year. Oh, wow. that was sweet. Yeah. I really need cool. a teenage son who drives uh, it living you with me. You had one. I did. And, you know, they <laughs> you just didn't all flew anywhere. No. <laughs> they all flew the coop. It was you just still had to go get everything for me, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I was today... very self serving when I was a teen. Today's episode is called Texas Clock Tower Sniper, and we're focusing on one of the most infamous mass killings in American history and the family murder that ushered it in. And that's going to be our focus is the family murder. But we are visiting Austin, Texas on August 1st, 1966, when Charles Whitman killed his mother, his wife, and then went on to kill 14 total strangers wounding at least 31 all innocent citizens walking to and from beneath the Texas clock tower. This murderous rampage is cited by many as the first mass shooting that entered the American zeitgeist. Many forget the family murder, and that is our focus today. Yeah. Having said that, I think, Andy, you were talking about the clock tower. So say a few words, if you can, about the clock tower sniper story. Yeah, I uh, just real quick to, um, you know, put it fresh and uh, people who may be casually aware of its brain. Um, So at approximately 1135 in the morning, uh, Whitman arrived at the University of Texas Austin campus uh, where the clock tower was. Um, 
He gave false identification as a research assistant, and he told a security guard that he was there to deliver some equipment. He then climbed to the 28th floor of the main building's clock tower. He killed three people inside the tower on his way up. Um, and then when he got to the observation deck, he just laid out his uh, just uh, insane armory. Um, guns, knife, all that stuff. And um, uh, he killed 14 people total. He wounded 31 uh the um event lasted 96 minutes before he was shot and killed by uh, patrolman houston mccoy of the austin police department he and sergeant uh, ramiro martinez had raced to the top of the tower to stop whitman um and this this is a case that very much interested me when i you know found out that you and caroline were doing this case um I got very excited, and um, that's why I'm, I'm very, very happy that you invited me to come join you and listen to you guys just lay out the family uh, that was um, just tragically taken. Yeah. That you don't hear a lot about. No, you don't. They've been lost to the ages, and I'm going to bring them back uh, today with Caroline and Andy here um, to help me do it. And, you know, there were 13 people murdered. There were really 14 souls taken because there was one unborn child who died as a result of this carnage. And, uh, so the, I mean, then, and then when I think about the officers who arrived and risked their lives and what they saw and what they were experiencing, I mean, you know, there's so many people probably scarred, uh, for the remainder of their time on earth. Um, I want to begin with the father of the gunman, and I don't want to confuse the names because the father of the gunman is Charles A. Whitman Jr. And so I'm going to call him, you know, I could call him a lot of names that are really running through my mind right now, but I think I'm going to call him Charles A. Whitman Jr. Father, somehow I'll distinguish between the two. Uh, so let me talk about Charles A. Whitman Jr., the father of this sniper. His father left him and his mother when Charles was six. Charles A. Whitman Jr., the father of our sniper. He was just six when this happened. I mean, first of all, that's a cataclysmic event in the life of a person. But his mother's reaction was to take Charles to the orphanage where he stayed for 12 years. So basically, the sniper's father was orphaned without his parents actually dying. I mean, I'm going to say, wow, what a betrayal. Anyway, it's just shocking to me that this happened. And I'm sure it affected him the rest of his life, not to excuse any behavior that we're going to be getting into. But Charles, the father of the sniper, worked very hard and learned the plumbing trade. He grew his skills and eventually earned a ton of money with his own business. He was very wealthy, basically fixing toilets and septic systems. Now, how many of you would have, have had to call a plumber? Oh, and you, yeah. You pay the bill <laughs> and you think I should have been a plumber. Well, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. 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 But would you really want to... Nope. Be a plumber? <laughs> no. I mean, Mm-mm. the kitchen sink is one thing, but the toilet system, I don't know. Yeah, they got to touch 
other people's poop. Yeah. That's not well, you said it, Andy, and that's why we invited you, because <laughs> Caroline and I scoot around it and talk about the deep meaning of it, and you just yeah. say, Come well, on, none of us. Out with that. Those of us that have steered clear of the plumbing, we all know why we steer well, clear of it. Let's, let's be real. Anyone who's cleaned a bathroom properly mm-hmm. knows why they don't want to be a plumber. <laughs> Anybody who's enough. changed a diaper knows why they don't want to go. be a plumber. <laughs> Anyway, that's my family spin on the poop idea. <laughs> anyway, he married, this is still the father we're talking about. He married Margaret Hodges, a woman who lacked his ambition but and drive, but she supported her husband's business by running the office and helping to grow the business. And Margaret is going to be a big part, of course, of her son's lives. And we'll get into that. She was very religious and she served the community too. So she was religious. She was altruistic. And the plumbing business grew and grew. Charles A. Whitman Jr., this is the still talking about the day out of the sniper, and his wife, Margaret, became pillars of their community in Lake Worth, Florida. Charles was president of local organizations, including the PTA. Now, when I was growing up, only women usually got involved in PTA. Hmm. So that's um, that's unusual to me that he was president of the PTA. Hmm. It's that control stuff. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. To me, anyway. uh, That's the first thing I think Uh of. Yeah. I'm not going to just control my children. I'm going to control yours, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the teachers who teach them. Right. Right. So... Anyway, this dad, he married Margaret Hodges, and they're getting on with their life, and they become, you know, super rich. And and um, uh, Char- Charles A. Whitman Jr., being a PTA president, just, it slays me. I don't think he was a good father by any stretch, by any stretch. But back in the 40s and 50s, all it took to be a great dad was to have a job and provide for your family. So it was very formulaic. And um, but just to give you an insight into why, you know, Charles A. is not my favorite character. Here's a quote from him from interviews done after his son did the shootings in Texas. He said, I did on many occasions beat my wife, but I loved her. I did. And I do have an awful temper. But my wife was stubborn, so blame the victim. And we had mm. some clashes over the more than 25 years we lived together. Now, you got to remember, this guy's wife has just been murdered by his son. But this is what he has to say about He life. said this after the murder. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Very insensitive. Jeez, uh, what a... He, to, to, to just put it... Uh, you know, uh, frosting on it, he wound up with his self-admission, which he felt no shame about, apparently. Uh, I have to admit it, he says, because of my temper, I knocked her around. So, like you, like you said, this is a sign of the times, because he's explaining it. I can see it right here. He's explaining it in terms that, like, you know, guilty people do. I, I did the bad thing, and here's the really great reason. So, I mean, he's got that this she formula. made me do it. 
Right. But it's a yeah. formula that flies in the 50s. This is, is if it comes from a white male who has a job and has provided for his family, then what he says is he's the, you know, he's the victim here. She was. Well, it's almost like he's saying him. it to whoever he said it. To. I don't know if he said it to a reporter or a psychiatrist. It was a reporter. It was a reporter. A reporter and he, but he's, the way he said, says it, the way it's phrased, is just like, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Reporter right. person. Right. You know, yeah. when you're like, you love your wife, but it's just like, oh, she won't shut up. So you pop her one. Like, oh, you know, Alice. like he's right. so casual about it. Yeah. He is very After casual. The about murder. I know. Right. And it is what Caroline said. Some of it is a sign of the times. But I have to tell you, even, you know, even fathers who whip the hell out of their children, uh, there was a lot of men who would not hit a woman. You don't right. hit a woman. It's just was even back then, you don't hit a woman because if you do, you're not really a man. There was a lot of that, but maybe a lot of the people who said that were home beating their wives. This guy was admitting it to a reporter over who were actually talking because his son just murdered a bunch of people. So it, oh my God, and killed his wife. So it's just, that's the kind of uh, father that our sniper had, and it just gets worse. He was also, he, the father, was also fond of bragging that he only used a belt, a paddle, or fists to discipline the three boys, Charles, Patrick, and John. He always said this as a badge of pride to illustrate his moderation. And he was, in fact, mixing violence and love in his family or for his family together. And I I think that's a big tell on where this story is going. Mm-hmm. He controlled everything financially. His son, Charles, was very good on the piano. Son, Charles, the one who wound up being the sniper. He took lessons and he practiced all the time. And I wonder, you know, was it because Charles loved to play and he loved the art of it, the beauty of it? Or was it the belt that his father put on top of the piano to remind young Charles what would happen if he didn't practice? Now, to me, I think here's another uh, sullying of art with the violence. Yeah, uh, The belt is not there because his father is wearing suspenders today. Right. That belt is there mm-hmm. as a you know, I'm coming after your flesh with this belt if you don't do what I say. And if you don't excel at something. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah. Everything Everything. had to be perfect. As it turned out, young Charles Whitman was very good at a lot of things. When his father took him hunting, Charles became a crack shot. All over their home, there were guns on the walls. So, okay, I know people do that, but to me, that's just mixing home decor with violence. Like mm-hmm. violence is part of our life. We're gonna we're gonna trophy it and put it on the wall. Well, yeah, it's I'm, not just part of our life; it's the primary. In right, our life. it's our fixture, right? Rather right. than well, this our is tool, a representation of who we are, because that's what art in a home usually is: is yeah. a representation of your heart. Um, Charles A. Whitman. The father told everyone he was fanatic for guns, and by God, his sons were going to be too. Of his sons, Charles, he loved to brag about 
the most because he said his son, meaning Charles, the shooter, could shoot the eye out of a squirrel with one shot. That's very graphic and horrible little creature. Oh, my God. And there are pictures of little Charles in swimming shorts on a beach, propped up on both arms by rifles taller than he was. I saw that picture. It's very morbid. Yeah. He's and two a... years old. It said the caption in the picture said he was two years old and like the rifles are taller than him. Yeah. And like it was uh, that was that was a weird picture. I looked it up when you. Yeah. Well, I just want to. Uh, I want to infuse a little bit of like context here, though, because I don't think this would have been abnormal. I mean, if it was abnormal, people would have started right. not hanging out with this family and been like, y'all are weird. But I do think that Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts is a very big thing that they would have been in and shooting is a big part of that, including like getting. I do think this whole like picture with your gun like it's a fish is a little bit weird. But at the same time, like it's kind of the culture but also like that's a really good point yeah. it's not abnormal that he would what's abnormal to me but also again probably not for this time is that you're like gonna force that on all three of your kids they're all gonna be crack shots like you're not there's no exploring of their own personal inclinations it's yeah. you're gonna be three little me's so you better get started here's your gun <laughs> yeah that, mini that you nailed it caroline and you know i yeah. i don't want to uh, say that it's not okay to uh, enjoy and appreciate gu guns. There are plenty of people who collect guns of historical value. They collect guns because it's a reminder of uh, a, a time, or maybe because they are hunting themselves, and it's a it's a um, symbol of um, something they love to do. So I know that there are people who do that, and plenty of them, even still today, when you can go to the grocery store. Um, and I'm not even that saying that killing squirrels is bad because I want to catch a squirrel and wring his neck because of <laughs> the sunflowers that I plant and never, never do they get to completely bloom because of killer squirrels. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. And I think that Car what Caroline said was uh, spot on uh, in terms of the distinction to keep in mind is that this isn't the behavior itself, the displaying of guns and the pictures with the kid. Because that picture, it was like on a beach with right. a bunch of families in the background. Like, 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 oh, 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 they got some nice rifles. <laughs> like that, that kind shot of, thing. of your dad, your dad. As oh, a when he was boy. five years old, yeah, like little holding gun, his yeah. little, you know, <laughs> over under. Yeah. Going hunting snakes. I remember. Yeah. I mean, it was a different time. Yeah. And, right. uh, but what Caroline said is really gets to the point that the father, um, Charles was, it, it wasn't about the guns as much as it was about being me in the world. Yeah. Everyone yes. can see how amazing I am yes. through these dolls that I've sculpted. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Gross. Yes. It is gross. And yet. Yes. Yeah, super gross. And yet it was kind of a, a point of pride for a lot of people in our culture at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charles and his brothers were educated in Catholic schools. And now here I'm talking about Charles the sniper and I'm going to be talking about him the rest of the way. 
Uh, Charles excelled at Catholic school. I mean, he won a $5 prize for being the best in Latin. Now, I, I want to just point out that I took Latin in high school, and I was very good at it. And after 50-some years, the only thing I can remember to say in Latin is Agricola sunt poeta. And what that means that in mean? Latin is farmers are poets, it's which I subscribe to. Uh, I, I do, yeah, that's kind degustebus of... non est disputandum. It's my what? Favorite that means um, uh, there is no disputing taste. Oh, I love that because like, you know, and I taught that one to my kids, actually, because it's one of those things uh, I learned in high school. Uh, and when people would be like, oh, you know, that's dumb that you're into that. It's like, ah, degustibus non est disputandum. You can't dispute tastes. It was wow. just a way for me to sound clever, telling someone like, I can do what I want. <laughs> well, that's right. If somebody said that to me, I'd be shutting up forevermore with that person. I mean, you know, or I'd want to yeah. marry that person or I'd want to, you know, I'd want to be that person's mother. Okay. So he excelled. He won a $5 prize. It seemed that Charles only learned excelling, winning, and mm. none of his subjects and endeavors were of his own choosing. That's my call on why he does so well. That may not be true, but that's my opinion. He was intent on living up to his father's need for perfection and control. Many believe that uh, his father was trying to create a perfect, unassailable childhood through his eldest son, Charles. And if true, Charles was missing out on key childhood disappointments that build resilience and self-reliance. Charles yeah. Whitman, the killer, never learned how to fail and get back up. He also was learning that the only way to stay on his father's good side was to beat records and give Charles A. something to brag about. So this fits in with what you both are saying about what's really going on with this guy. Yeah. And I think Annie nailed it when he said, you're going to make me look good. I mean, he, he has had these kids to, ma to make up for however he may have looked previously in society. And now he's going to look. Yeah. That's or all. Looking I like back. what you just said, mom. Like you just said, like he, he was teaching them to excel. He wasn't teaching them piano yeah. and sharpshooting and right. squirrel killing or whatever else he was into. He was teaching them to be good at things and to project excellence. Yeah. Like that's but, but he was picking the things. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. The father wasn't say follow your heart and give it all you have. Yeah, that's what Carolyn was saying. Is yes. that these kids didn't have an opportunity to follow their heart. Mm -hmm. No, they did not. And um I sadly believe that Charles A, the father, was trying to remake his own childhood, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in order to get back some of the control that he did not have when he was a child, his mother put him up for adoption. Right. His father left and he had to stay in an orphanage for 12 years, knowing that both his parents were alive. What the hell? Yeah. That's yeah. Messed that's up. awful. Uh, yeah. I don't care what generation or time you're living in. That is always going to be an awful yeah, abandonment is always abandonment. I mean, yeah. it's right. It's right. terrible. It is terrible. And I just, you know, when I look at the dynamics of what caused 
this family annihilator, Charles, before he became something even more hideous uh, than that, what were the dynamics? And so I'm going to say this is an example, probably, in my opinion, I'm not educated to know, but I think that this is a a clear case of generational trauma and how it plays out through the ages. Good point. When he was old enough to be a Boy Scout, uh, Charles became an Eagle Scout. Here we're talking about Charles the Sniper and broke the national record for both time to earn the level and number of badges earned along the way. And he won national awards, Catholic Church awards, and on and on and on. So he is Mr. Marvel. Mr. And on the, on the inside, you know, we know by his behaviors later that he was hollowed out. There wasn't anything there. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's a good description. He, he did love and, and focused a lot on earning money. He, uh, for example, as a kid, he started a paper route, and he built that paper route into the largest Lake Worth, Florida distributor of the Miami Herald. And that's not a small thing. No. I read that he, uh, this may have been, I don't know if this was apocryphal or what, but he, I read that he bought a Harley Davidson. Really? And with his paper route money. And then that's how he uh, boosted his paper route um, speed smart. and scope wow. by Very riding smart. a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I love it. Yeah. The, and, you know, it makes my heart just break. It really does to know what he could have done with his life. And he was brokenhearted about that also, as we're going to see. He loved to focus on money. I've already said that. The only thing that Charles was not able to do was break away from his father's control. None of his pursuits were intrinsic. He realized that his father controlled him with tasks and fears. At the end of a task that Charles broke records achieving would come another task. There was no margin for just being himself. He had to be perfect. He realized that his father expected perfection and was hell-bent on punishing him no matter what he achieved. His father refused to let him play piano in a band like what is what he wanted to do. He refused to let him be a kid, couldn't be a teenager, couldn't be a young adult. And because of this, Charles Whitman decided to run away from home and join the U.S. Marines. I actually think that was a very positive thing for him to do. I do too. When I read that, I thought, what a responsible way to run away, because that is the way that you run away without actually, I, you know, abandoning anyone. You yeah. just move on to another task. Yeah. Well, and then it, it's it's like running into the arms of a protector. Right. Um, oh, yeah. From this. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, regardless of, you know, people's, you know concept of the marine corps i think that there is uh, an understanding that um yeah they demand a lot of you but they also hold you tight and keep Protect you, you. Yeah. and um it was interesting another thing that came up when i was just sort of reading around about it um was that his dad found out and called um 
the Department of Defense and tried to get his son to cancel out his son's enlistment, which you can't do. The military is like, no, we got him. So yeah, this isn't a catch and release sort of no sort way. Of deal. He did his dad. <laughs> well, you know what? I love it that you brought that up because um, in the Marines, Charles distinguished himself as and and earned a rarefied honor of sharpshooter. He was such a good Marine that he earned a scholarship to the University of Texas in Austin. And there he met a married and married, not she was not married. He met and married (laughs) a young, determined college student named Kathy Lessner, who wanted to be a school teacher. Oh, I think that's Uh, pronounced Leisner. Leisner. Okay, Kathy Leisner. I didn't know. Thank you. Sorry, it's it's Sarah's um, mom's maiden name. And who is Sarah? Sarah is is my wife. (laughs) Yes, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, not a Leisner anymore. Kathy had a storybook childhood, whatever that meant back then. I think it probably meant, you know, crinolines under your little, you know, dresses and polka dots and hats on Easter. And I'm talking from experience. Anyway, she was. I have a, not read that storybook. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it doesn't end well. And no, no, none yeah. of these idyllic, you know, storybooks <laughs> ever end that's well. We're learning. Yeah, that storybook's been canceled, Mom. I don't yeah. know that it exists anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, what they, that's why they call it a story. Anyway, <laughs> felt madly. She fell madly in love with Charles. So I, I, I love her for falling madly in love. They married not long after meeting and they started their life together. Charles was studying engineering at the expense of the Marines, and Kathy was in her classes to earn a teaching career. So it's just so sweet. It's perfect. Except for one thing, and that is that, unfortunately, Charles was not well-balanced. He could not manage marriage. He could not handle college life. He could not handle adult life. I mean, his grades plummeted, and he lost his scholarship from the Marines. And this meant that he had to go back to the Marines. Oh my that. God! What a setback! Like if you lose your, your I mean, it makes like if fun. you if you lose your GI Bill, you have to go back to the Marines. Is that the well, deal? no. What happened, I think, was that the Marines gave him a scholarship, so it's almost like officer oh. training. They they sent yeah. him yeah. to get his degree. They're yeah, sponsoring yeah, yeah. him in hopes that he will come back and be a leader in the Marines. So oh, okay, that makes sense. He was seething about this failure. I mean, he hated his life. He loved Kathy, and she loved him. That's all he had. Kathy stayed at the university, and Charles went back into the Marines. They managed their long-distance relationship, mainly because of Kathy's stable mind and habits. I mean, you know, she was really uh, able to offset a lot of what was plaguing Charles at that time. Mm. Charles eventually got thrown into the brig that's like a nice way of saying imprisoned by the military (laughs) court-martialed and demoted to private jeez he was fighting and gambling and he got caught at it ultimately his father andy this is gonna undo what you said that you can't get out because ultimately his father bailed him out of the marine corps using his Yeah. So his dad, it was a delayed thing, but his dad got what he wanted eventually. Yes. 
Yes. What kind of message does that send to Charles the kid? Well, I control you and I control the people around you. Well, yeah, that's what, you thought I couldn't get you in the that's Marines? It. That's the scary yeah. part is that he fled through the Marines. He was trying to break away and this man stalking him. That's why the thing you said about him calling the Marines, it's like scary to me. I mean, he's being stalked by his own father, pulling him back in. You know, this man's I trying know. to get married. Have and here's awful. validation yeah. for that. Just, you know, See, horror you of a man, that horror of a father. Well, and that... some politician is to blame, too, because, you know, uh -huh. Charles Sr. used his connections as a respected businessman to influence politicians to get Charles released. Politicians. Sorry. It Probably. was July 1965. Well, you know, <laughs> on top of being everything going. else, Charles, the father of our Charles is also a politician, isn't he? Because if a yeah. person can call up a politician and get something like this from the Marine Corps at the federal level, yeah, his then dad he's a politician too. He may not look like one. He may not call himself one, but he is. I agree. And, and he's clearly using like communal clout that he's earned. He This plan worked for him. Even though it was abusive to his family, he built up this network in the community. And now, I mean, all the way up to politicians. Through so, I mean, poop removal. I mean, let's, let's just. <laughs> Nobody wants to I deal want... with poop. We're going to put I that want, person on Yeah, but think about this. This is this just done on me. So that is why he joined the PTA. I'm going to control you at school. I'm going to control yes. you at the piano bench. What? I'm going to control everywhere. you uh, behind the rifle. I'm going to control you at, everywhere you go. And then Charles has one way out. He goes into the Marines. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, you know, all this misery and violence that he was raised in starts to manifest in his gambling and carousing mm -hmm. to the point where the Marine Corps throws him in the brig. And then his father's like, oh, you're in military prison and you've been court-martialed? Well, guess what? Uh, you're still not safe from me. Yeah. I'm going to get you out. Welcome back into my arms. Yeah. You know, yes. I'm putting oh. you back up on the shelf to display. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, is right. Yeah, oh my God. This he, dad is just a, a scary. darkly fascinating. Yeah. And he also got an honorable <laughs> discharge. That's no small feat. You're in the brig, and then your daddy, yeah. calls, your daddy calls the head of the Marine Corps, and um, now you get an honorable discharge. But he did, and he returned to the University of Texas, where he and Kathy, still very much in love, lived as poor students. You know, some of this wow. violence that he engaged in in the Marine Corps I mean, do I think he's the only Marine that ever engaged in violence? No. Um, do I think that being away from Kathy, who was his life preserver? I mean, yeah. he was, she was the greatest thing that ever happened to him and he loved her. And um, anyway, whatever money they had at during this time mostly came from Kathy. Charles got menial work here and there, but he was really struggling big time. By the end of 1965, he was on his feet a little bit. He found a job and he got Kathy a dog named Shotzi. Kathy was active in her church and Charles became a scoutmaster through that church. But in January of 1966, he withdrew as scoutmaster, claiming a desire to focus on work and studies. You know, what work? Anyway, he had gained <laughs> he had gained weight and some of the scouts had called him Porky. Okay, That's I would mean. quit if somebody called me Porky. I would yeah, I would punch somebody in the face and then I would quit. 
Okay, I'm sorry I said that, listeners. <laughs> anyway, everyone who knew him as a scoutmaster thought the world of Charles, Porky or not, and saw him as a smart and kind person and a nice guy. Yeah. A nice guy. You know, a lot of people put on weight when they're happy. They're at home. They're with their spouse. They have a family. This is yeah. their, this is their castle. Uh, you know, pass me the taters. I'm still hungry. I mean, that's <laughs> taters. What a great word. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, you can call it potato and you can call it potato, and I don't care because it's taters to me. Because I was, I was, I'm not like well, it's people. taters to me. That's what my mom says. Yeah. Taters, taters. I like taters. I like taters. I mean, even or I call knew better than to call them potato pots or tops or whatever they're tater tots people oh tater tots. <laughs> you people call them potato tots that's weird potato tots. <laughs> they're tater tots or potato potato you know uh little preschoolers no they're tater tots they are they tater are. Tots. <laughs> charlie wrote in his diary that his life thus far was a total waste who hasn't written that? Anyway, he hadn't <laughs> he hadn't achieved anything. He was riddled with doubt that he would ever be successful. Again, not that abnormal. He wanted to best his father, and he resented that his father's wealth came from traipsing around the filth of others, alluding to his plumbing uh-huh. business. Now, we know this because he kept a diary when he yeah. was in the brig, and he c- continued to keep it. Oh. Uh, after that, and it's it's actually was kind of bound together, and somebody made it into like a book thing, and I don't know if it's still available, but um, it's probably worth a lot of money now. Anyway, why can't I better my father is what he thought. I hate my father is what he wrote. He had constant headaches, and he was sweating profusely all the time, even in cold weather. Oh, he sounds like he's about to pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing is sure, and that is his love for his wife, Kathy. You would think that he would resent her level of achievement. Kathy never lost focus. She fulfilled her dreams with hard, persistent work. At the time of her death, she had achieved her dream of being a school science teacher. And she was the breadwinner. And she was the one with insurance with Charles as her husband on the same policy. In his wallet, get your handkerchiefs out, because to me this is sad and profound. In his wallet, Charles kept a card with her favorite color, measurements for clothes, and little details about Kathy that he did not trust himself to remember without notes. On another card, he wrote, in caps, good points to remember about Kathy. Number one, don't nag. Number two, don't try to make your partner over. Number three, don't criticize. Four, give honest appreciation. Five, pay little attentions. Six, in caps, be gentle. Oh. Now that's a, oh. Don't try to make your partner over. Part of me wonders if he didn't have some therapy along the way and get these pointers yeah, from somewhere. This reads like a guide, like he had been struggling to not start to treat Kathy 
in these ways he knew he didn't want to be treating people he loved. Not to treat her like, that's what I was thinking too, like not yes. to treat her like he'd been treated his entire life by his father. Because yes. yeah. his father nagged him. He yes. always made him over. Mm -hmm. He made him over into a mini-me. And he constantly criticized. Yes. And uh, he did not give honest appreciation. He 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 didn't pay any attention mm -hmm. to who his son was as a human, as a distinct individual out in the world. And he was not gentle. And so it's so interesting that, that he turned into this, you know, with this like sweating and yeah. struggling that he was going through physically. Cause you know, I mean, your body manifests these, um, uh, what am I looking for? Struggles. Emotional struggles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, emotions. If you're not dealing with them That's right. intellectually, your body will deal with them physically. That's right. That's why people get ulcers. Yeah. It's why people develop, you know, aggressive cancers, I think. I mean, obviously that's there already, but I'm with you, Andy. I'm a person who manifests yeah. emotions. No, our mom taught us that. Yeah. Mom so taught I me know, that. I know when I break out really <laughs> like, bad yeah. or when I'm feeling, you know, headaches like he talked about, things like that, that I'm not taking good enough care of my body, which means I'm really not taking good enough care yeah. of myself. I'm not. I remember you telling well, me that, mom. That, yeah. That like it'll come out if you don't deal with it in your brain, it'll come out in your body. Well, all I can say about that is I learned well from one of your friends, Andy, Shakespeare, when he said the truth. We're casual acquaintances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 truth, the truth will out. Yeah. And the whatever is going on at the deepest and truest part of yourself will come out in the physical part of yourself if you don't face it and own it and learn how to live with it and turn it into something positive for yourself and others. So it's very sad yeah. to me that he had this level of insight, but he couldn't reach through his pain and touch it. So he awful. couldn't. He oh. knew. He knew. Well, but he couldn't touch it. The love, the un... Like the unbelievable, unconditional desire and true love that this man had because of the small details. He yeah. wanted to just like purify his expression of his love for his wife. I mean, he Absolutely. wanted to pristine because like you said, Andy, it was going to represent the opposition of everything he had ever hated about his life, yeah. which really amounts to his father. So, uh, so well, it was I so much he, scarier. Yeah, yeah sorry, is. I didn't mean to I, No, yeah, I, I think he loved his Because the humanity, he, he's, you see his humanity. Yes. He and he loved her so much, you know, and that's what makes it scary. It's like, wow, mm -hmm. this was a human being. This was like a real, you know, dynamic, nuanced individual. Yes. You know, I, I don't want to make anybody mad here or creeped out, but when yeah. I think of Charles Whitman, the sniper, yeah. the killer. The family annihilator. When I think of him, I think of a, him as like a, a wild animal that has been um, a beautiful wild animal that has been hit in the roadway and is struggling to get up and cannot because he's broken. Yeah. Well, that is my yeah. image of what is going on image. here. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. And he loved his wife. 
He tried to please his wife, which wasn't that hard. She just wanted to love him and have a home and be a science teacher. I think he appreciated things. I think he wanted to be like her, and he tried. In his diaries, he constantly described himself as just not being able to get to where he wanted to be, and I think that's where my image comes from. He's broken. He can't get to where he wants to be. He wrote that he wanted to be better than his father. After all, his father made money from sewage. Charles felt like he should be able to best that. And yet here he sits, he doesn't really have a job. Or he can't keep a job, going from menial task to menial task. It's probably time to cut away from sweating, headachy, frustrated, and confused, pitiful Charles Whitman and talk a little bit about the University of Texas clock tower, which played an infamous and historic role in the family murders perpetuated by Charles Whitman. At the end of the 19th century, Austin was the capital of Texas, and it was very different from the rest of Texas. It was more diverse racially. It was liberal politically, contrasting with Southern conservatism. The college was immense with stunning Spanish architecture that composed numerous malls coming together in a very large space that contained a massive clock tower. The clock tower was two feet, two feet higher than the state capitol building, and that building had been designed to be taller than the capitol building in Washington, D.C. A little bit of competitive Texas hoo-ha <laughs> going on there. But the Texas clock tower was more than the figurative center of the campus. It was really the center of downtown into which the college existed. So all day, every day, regular life was teeming and moving across the courtyard to get from here to there. Students and ordinary citizens alike, everybody had to walk around and kind of stare up at the clocks uh, Texas clock tower. College students, professors, parents, citizens, everybody uh, was making remarks all the time about drastic measures they would or would not take, and they wrote the University of Texas clock tower in on the deal. For example, oh God, I might as well throw myself off that clock tower. Hmm. And oh, it a lot part of part of the vernacular of the community. Yes. <laughs> or, or how about oh, why don't you just go throw yourself off the Texas clock tower? You know, <laughs> they were always coming up with statements like that. Um, and even nice, famous Eagle Scout, mega paper router, super smart Charles Whitman remarked on the clock tower. He told a friend that the tower would make a great site for a sniper's perch. Jeez. Weird. So nobody's going to think anything about that statement. Right, that You're sucks. Right. I mean, so it, ubiquitous that it, it just becomes like, uh -huh. oh. And in no one's oh. mind is the average Joe going to be walking up a tower for any reason to start sniping. That's not in the mindset or realm of possibility of any American at this no. time. Not one. Uh -uh. Not a one. <laughs> no. No. For him to um, say nobody... that, it's not a sign of what's to come. No, not like at all. for the people no. around. Right. Yeah. They did. Yeah. That was not beyond the, a normal kind of uh, slap your knee and say, I might want to throw you off the clock tower. Like I might want to go whatever. up there and kill a million people. Yeah. Nobody paid any attention to any of that. 
And in the spring of 1966, Charles Whitman believed he was sick and he didn't know what was wrong with him. He was depressed and Kathy urged him to seek counseling. His grades, on the other hand, were really good. He made the honor roll. The high he felt disappeared when his mother called him urgently one day to come and get her. Now this is Margaret, remember? Margaret was finally going to leave her husband, Charles A. Whitman. Charles brought Margaret to Austin, where ultimately she found an apartment. Charles continued to hate his father, hated him for what he did to his mother, Margaret. And meanwhile, Charles A. spent over $1,000 a month in telephone bills for so many phone calls made to his wife who had run away from him. He's trying to get her back. Come back. I'll never hit you again, he said. I'll never hit you again. Please come back. During this time, Margaret got a job and her son Charles fell deeper and deeper into depression, mostly due to the foreboding feeling that something was wrong inside his body. So once again, the physical ramifications of mental and emotional, spiritual, everything that is not physical, I guess, about a person swirling around in this dark fog, all he can focus on is how he feels physically. Kathy begged him to please seek medical help. And on March 29, 1966, Charles Whitman did seek medical help at the University of Texas Health Center. Dr. Jan Cochran treated Charles with Valium for anxiety and to help him sleep. You know, sleep is probably one of the first things that anybody who's in the medical profession is going to try to fix because loss of sleep can just cause so many disease states. Oh, yeah. She referred him to psychiatrist Dr. Maurice Heatley, who was very well regarded. He prescribed Charles with Librium. Dr. Heatley asked Charlie about his hobbies, and he said hunting, karate, scuba diving. But most of all, I just really, I really like making money. Interesting. So those things that he loved, hunting, karate, Is scuba that a diving, hobby? those things don't count. It's <laughs> the I money. The real hobbies. But do you, the you know, thing that you get that's really an illusion and isn't real anyway. Yeah. And do you think that's by that, he, what, he, what he really wants to say is, and besting my father? Do you think that's what he that really That would have been the best thing for him to say, is for, I'm trying to figure out a way to kill my father, but I don't know how, so I'm going to go <laughs> kill everybody true. else. Yeah. Uh, doc, or he did. Anyway, I'll, yeah. I'll shut up about that. Anyway, I'm not a doctor, but Dr. Heatley is a doctor, and he recorded that he viewed Charlie as a quote-unquote young, strong, and oozing with hostility. According oozing to Dr. with hostility. Wow. Oozing. You're oozing. A doctor Here's wrote something. oozing with hostility. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, strong, <laughs> oozing. Jesus. <laughs> wow. According to Dr. Heatley's records, Charlie's main issue was being capable of making A's, but making B's instead. A mysterious malady that kept him from achieving to the level of his ability. I inter- I think I find that fascinating I, that Charlie yeah. felt that what's wrong with me is a disease 
that's keeping me from achieving my level of ability. God, I just want to reach in there and just help him so bad. I know. that's Charlie told Dr. Heatley, sometimes I fantasize about going up the clock tower with a deer rifle and shooting people. Uh Uh-oh. But because Dr. Heatley and everyone else were living through a time when everyone used the tower and what they would do there as a harmless metaphor for various frustrations and grievances, Dr. Heatley merely noted it. You know, I think early noted here would be to go through every other file at that time, which I'm sure this was not done, but every other file of Dr. Heatley's and look for that same similar sentiment because otherwise it's a learning opportunity. But I mean, in today's world, that would never, you would never make it out of the doctor's office if you said something like that to your doctor. So I just, but then I I wonder about that. Like, you know, remember when back in the nineties, when that, that guy shot up the post office and like, from then on, there was going postal. Yes. You know, it made yeah. it into the zeitgeist. You're right. Um, yes. this, this idea of just like, I'm so frustrated and stressed out about work. I'm just going to go postal. You're right. As in, I'm right. going to go shoot up a post office. You're right. right. You You're know, right. <laughs> even as people lived through that, like, I hate that phrase because I'm like, hey, there's still people in this world that survived that. Right. We need to kind of <laughs> give them a little bit of healing. Hard. Yeah. By maybe just saying, like, sometimes I feel like going nuts at work. Well, let's try to keep it, you know, vague. Or maybe we just say, I feel like losing my cool. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means yeah. for you. I know what it means for me. But we all do do right. it. Everybody loses their cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. My dog is barking, which, you know, she stopped doing that for a while. But now she started doing that again when I get to the part where a lot of people are going to die. But anyway, um, uh, Charlie saw Dr. Heatley just that one time, and he didn't go back after that. He took his pills more than prescribed, and his friends and Kathy could see that Charlie was not well. And on August 1st, 1966, just after midnight, Charles Whitman walked his mother home to her apartment, followed her inside, and as she readied herself for bed, he murdered her. It is to this day unclear how she died, as there was no autopsy. Her head was bashed in from behind, leading some to believe that she was shot. But she was also stabbed once in the heart. And after his death, uh, officials found a rubber hose among Charles Whitman's guns. And some speculate that he strangled his mother then bashed her head in with a heavy, uh, heavy object. Charles also attacked her hand so viciously that her diamond wedding ring shattered. Speculation wow. is that Charles may have destroyed her wedding ring in order to prevent his father from having it. In a letter, he wrote the following, and I've written this down Uh, And to make myself suffer, I forgot my magnifying glass, so forgive me, but it says this, to whom it may concern, I've just taken my mother's life. I'm very upset over having done it. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, uh, she's definitely there now. And if there is no life after, I have relieved her of her suffering here on earth. 
Intense hatred I feel for my father is beyond description. My mother gave that man 25 best years of her life. And because she finally took enough of his beatings, humiliation, degradation, and tribulations that I am sure no one will ever know, she never left him. He was chosen to, he chose to treat her like a slut that he would bed down with, accept her favors, and throw a pittance in return. Jeez. I'm terribly sorry that this is the only way I could see to relieve her suffering, but I think it was the best. Let there be no doubt in your mind that I love this woman with all my heart. And if there exists a God, let him understand my actions and judge me accordingly. So there's a lot to unpack there, you know. And I, his mother is going to suffer forever because of this man who is spending thousands of dollars a month to call her up and lure her back. But I feel most sad about the potential here of Charles and, uh, you know, the the son, the sniper, this man who is killing everyone now because he's reached his wits end. I, I just wish there had been a lifeline for him because he. He is so intelligent. He is so detailed and complex in his thinking. It just went the wrong way. And you know, he's sensitive he's, and he has insight. That he has insight. He knows. He just but he says it right there. Yeah. I've killed my mother. I have an intense hatred for my father. He said it right there. It, it just one well, he shat, like he obliterated her wedding ring. Yeah. And you know, speaking like, of the wedding ring. He says in his note that he did not want, or he said somewhere that he did not want his mother to have it, or people speculate that he did not want his mother to have it. His father to have it. His father to have it. Thank you. Thank you. So he, he destroyed this wedding ring, and the speculation is that he didn't want his father to have it. In my mind, I'm thinking, back up, back up from there. He did not want his father to have his mother. That's it. He didn't want his father to have anything. He wanted to strip him of everything. Well, and it said it said in the description that you provided that that the um, that he attacked her hand right. with the ring. It's almost like he just put the father on the hand, yeah, so that he could st- he couldn't stab the father enough. Yeah. Well, the father and is on the, hand. He's calling all day, uh, every day. Yeah, and well, and then the intimacy and. Um, just private nature of the killing like he either like they don't know how because the autopsy but he either stabbed her in the heart you know because that's a close range to the you know vessel of love in a human being you know if we're being poetic and woo-woo about it he stabbed her in the heart and then he strangled her you guys know from previous episodes yeah those are very intimate intimate and you know frighteningly real and up close that is well and emotional um those are an emotional modes of yeah and so then the back of her head being bashed in it's almost like an afterthought like do you think maybe it was after this ring like he's just kind of looking and in my mind i'm trying to process this he doesn't he sees this as an act of mercy and or an act of vengeance against his father i mean it's It's only him and his dad Right? Yeah. I love this woman more than anything else with yeah. all of my heart. Right. And this is what love looks like under these circumstances. That's well, what's that, going on yeah. in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're and, right. And and that letter that you read 
where he says, this is the only way I could think yeah. to relieve her suffering. Right. He typed it out. He didn't have out. a say in this. Yeah. He typed it that's, out. That's even creepier. It is. Then he wrote reason, a note. Then he wrote a note and put it on her outside door to delay her discovery. Roy, he re it reads, he's the super of the apartment complex. I don't have to be at work today. And I was up late last night. I would like to get some rest, so please do not disturb me. Thank you, Mrs. Whitman. That's premeditation right there. Oh, yeah. He doesn't want the body discovered until he finishes his business. Mm -hmm. So he knows he's got another day's worth of business. Yeah. Then he went home. His wife was asleep. He thrust his knife into her heart five times. He then spent time going over his daily journals, and he found a passage professing his colossal love of Kathy. And on this diary journal page, he wrote after killing Kathy, quote, this is still true, end quote. Oh. So in other words, that's the letter that he wrote about her was that I that's love weird. her. Um, and this thing that I wrote in my diary about my colossal love for you, this is still true. <clears throat> so he's he's professing, not the devil made me do it, but love itself made me do this. So these two, um, these two women, who he loved, and I do think that he loved both his oh, mother yeah. and his wife yeah. right. so deeply. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Um, this harkens back to that first episode of your podcast where, you oh, know, oh, the Baston House. Yes. The yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 The British guy. And just this idea that just the, the, the self importance mm -hmm. of the notion that these people that I love the most aren't going to be able to live without me. Right. Right. So I need to just go ahead and end it for them. It's better this way. He, he did yeah. not, he did not have the insight to know that everyone, every human being has a right to make their own choices about life and death of themselves. And, um, and then some people will say, well, no, that's not even up to you. That is God's choice. And okay, it's nature's choice. Okay, it's, it's this, you know, whatever. But he has decided to be the supreme being. He has decided not only to be the judge, but also the jury and also the executioner of these people because they're better off, as you say, they're better off, just like the man in Obaston House. I feel like there is a slight... Because yes, those are very common where you've got the God complex and like these people only exist in relationship to me and my life and how I feel about it, right? I'm not getting as as much of that from Charles. Like, yes, he still did all the same things, but there's a sense almost like this is more a protective measure against his father. They're protecting yeah, him well, against Yeah, well, yeah, there's father. that. Yeah. Or revenge, revenge right? against his or, father. Yeah, I, I don't want you living in the world that I'm going to annihilate in a minute here because of my, my so overwhelming hatred for my dad. I mean, I think that's his mantra, overwhelming hatred for my dad. And so everything yeah, he, he almost does, seems, he almost seems possessed. Yes. Not he himself. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more he of a touch of like the protection from the father rather than the 
you're better off. If I'm not here, you're you got no reason to be here. It's a little more like if I'm not here, this man's going to ruin you and I know it. So, you know, I'm taking you out because you're too Or he wonderful. knew what he was about to do and he did not want these two people who he loved more than anything to yeah. um, suffer like the that. consequences of what he's about to do. And that is why he uh, did not kill his father because That's he right. would just dearly love to have his father have to take the brunt of what's going yes. to happen next. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yes. Distinction. So anyway, he also left a general all-purpose note for posterity, I suppose, blaming his father for being a brute to his mother and saying Kathy would be in heaven if there is one, and if not, since the world is unlivable, he saved her from it. He wrote that down. He left his beloved Kathy no choice in the matter. He also wrote a note to use his life insurance to pay for the over drawn checks he used to purchase his arsenal of weapons for his sniper spree. So here is somebody, you know, how many times do we talk about people who kite checks and owe tons of money? And even in the Obaston house episode, that guy was in over his head for no, but not this guy. He, he, he wants to pay off his debts that he incurred and he wants to take care of this dog uh, with his money. I mean, he also wow. wrote a note to take that dog and give him to Kathy's parents because Kathy loved that dog. So no mention of the trauma and loss that Kathy's parents are going to feel now after they learn that they have lost their beloved daughter. So wow. her husband, like that, you know, I mean, he's got some extra parts and he's missing some parts. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the idea to like settle all worldly business. Yeah, right. In such a complete and final way. Yeah. Even to go so far as to pay debts through insurance, mm-hmm. um, for the guns that you're going to use in this horrible. It's, horrible it's just event. like a little tag on the everything, saying, you know, I am, I really am a good person. Right. He yeah. he really wants to be a good person. So that all the shit is going to fall on his father's head, who, by the way, made a fortune out of shit. So, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, oh, that's so tragic. Very, very morbid <laughs> distinction. Yeah. <laughs> that's full circle. I don't know I like. <laughs> Here's another weird, interesting element to his letters and his notes. He says, I want an autopsy to be done on my body to find out what is wrong with me. And in sure. fact, now he won't go to the doctor anymore. And he's taken overdoses of his medication, but it's, I, I, I want an autopsy yeah. to tell me what is wrong with me. And in fact, it was done. And in fact, they did find a tumor in his head. Some scientists wow. believe it had nothing to do with his monstrous acts. And some believe that the tumor robbed him of impulse control and judgment. I would say that, um, this is a person remember back how he was raised he never learned to be a human. Mm-hmm. He never became a human. He became a, an instrument of his father. And he was just, just thoughtful enough to unearth his humanity to see some of these things. But then he was so abstract in his thinking about killing people so that they don't have to suffer. So there's just this weird way that he has of thinking because of the way that he was raised. That is what I think. But he is thinking about 
how to help himself know what's wrong. And his solution to that is die and have an autopsy. I mean, I just think the whole thing is a tell of his entire story. He's so articulate and so detailed. I don't want to say calm because, you know, he's desperate, but there's, there's this control of self Mm -hmm. that is beyond most people I know. Yeah. Right. Like in terms of like being able to like having a regulator on the thoughts that come out yeah, and being able to write them all down, yeah. you know, and I wonder about the totality of circumstances because yes, he had all of this tragedy and all this horrible stuff and he had a tumor in his head. Maybe a tumor alone didn't push the wrong button on his brain and maybe the 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 life that he was raised in didn't alone push the button on his brain but maybe those two buttons being pushed together yes i don't know the Does that makes sense oh yeah and and you know the yeah. fact that he um i one of the reasons that i don't think the tumor was the sole reason or even a reason is because you know let's look at how he's carrying this out he's using the tools that were made available to him as a human being during his formative years, guns. Then he's using the success that he had in his life because of the the things that his father was making him do. Be best at Latin, win prizes in the Catholic Church, win prizes in the community, have the best um, paper route. But it was guns that got him a scholarship, yeah. A mm. a coveted title in the Marine Corps, sniper, sharpshooter. Yeah. yeah. So he wasn't actually I read that he wasn't as distinguished by the Marine Corps as a sniper. He was a sh- because there's a sh- sharpshooter. Sharpshooter, yeah. Yeah. I, that was just a weird detail that I read that, yes. that the Marine Corps wanted to make it very clear. What's the distinction there? He, Combat versus non-combat. So, An assignment so like would a, be sniper. Okay. No, no. The distinction no? is there's a 250 point uh, test for uh, being a sniper, a marksman oh, wow. uh, for the marksmanship test. And so he made 215 out of the 250. Oh, okay. Which is exceptional. Yeah. But there are other elements like gauging uh, wind and improvisation oh. and all this other stuff. I don't know what they are, but I'm yeah. just guessing there are other things that, you know, Charles didn't possess that that kept him from those last few points. Oh, okay. But he only made it 215 points, which, like I said, is is exceptional. Yeah. Um, but there was some reason that they wouldn't give him. And we don't know. Right. You know, because I've never taken that test. Right. <laughs> um, right. But we don't know what those other because there's more than just being able to point and shoot. And that makes sense. Uh, like having yeah. there's probably having barriers in between, like a forest in between you and your target. Or maybe, like you said, the wind, the visibility. Is it nighttime, daytime? There's probably a lot of different elements. And there's also judgment and psychology elements to the test Ooh. that I suspect he didn't pass. <laughs> you know, yeah, being able to make a proper judgment. And I, I think that kind of calls back to what you're saying mom that uh maybe that you know it's kind of a it's kind of a lazy move to dump it all on the tumor you know when you think back on his life i mean yeah this guy was an exceptional rifleman 
and he yet he wasn't awarded a sniper's distinction by the Marine Corps. And this could also be the Marine Corps being like, whoa, 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 this because this is all this all came out after the mm-hmm. incident. So the Marine Corps came out was like, whoa, no, no, no he wasn't a sniper. We right. we we erased that from his. There's so maybe he was. Up. I don't know, but yeah. just an interesting fact that I read that I wanted to share with you guys. Yeah. Well, I did not know that, and I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I I really don't have any insight into what really happened, and I I know that his father Charles A. Whitman had no problem saying uh, that he spoiled his son and he should have punished him more. Jeez, um, <laughs> it's awful. Charles A. was forever coupling love with brutality. So, I mean, what what are you going to expect from a guy like this? And again, it wasn't just this guy. It was also some social constructs going on at the time that you could do anything to your children because, you know, yeah, um, they're your children and spare the rod and spoil the child and all that. Many years later, one son was murdered. Remember, he was one of three boys. Yeah. And wow. one of those sons was murdered, and another one died of AIDS. That's tragic. It's just tragedy the down the line. So this man, Charles A. Whitman, the father of the, our sniper, he lost his whole family. And then he developed Alzheimer's. And in his last interviews, he said he never so much as spanked his kids. And I found that interesting, an interesting memory. He was anxious. To, I, I, here's, I'm going to tag him with my judgment. And that is that what a, what a great way to rewrite your own history. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was the dementia talking, but then he remembered he had three sons. The, yeah. I. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If I know that a lot of people who raised children in mid century and they got whipped with belts and, you know, uh, fireplace pokers and everything else. A lot of those people go back to their, uh, childhood to whoever it was that was beating them and saying, you beat the living hell out of me. I was just a child because by then, you know, society was starting to say, you know, this is not such a great idea to be whipping up on kids. And it became illegal at some point to do that to a certain extent. So anyway, uh, a lot of these fathers have amnesia and mothers have amnesia over time. I never did that. You're right. making that up. You're thinking about that neighbor boy who was screaming all the time, went on to murder a lot of people. So anyway, I'm just saying, I think he had some shame about it in the end. Maybe not, though. No, I I don't know. I I would agree with that, that there's an underlying unconscious guilt. Why? Otherwise, why would you talk about how you beat your wife and it was her fault? I mean, you know, there's some culpability here, or at least that some could be proven. And so but I wonder how much of that is is sort of socially compounded shame versus the shame that should exist in a human being yeah, to begin right. with. You're, yeah. You know, guilt. a fully, fully, you know, actualized human being to begin yeah. with. All I can I'm say not, is... I'm not eager to let him off the hook. No, I agree. No. I don't like this. <laughs> no. No, I mean, in the intervening yeah. years after the event, um, I'm sure he took a pummeling, and I'm sure his status in the community went in the toilet, no pun intended. And I'm sure that all the money in the world well, did not spare him coming back. from, yeah, it just keeps coming back. Uh, I was in grade school when this event happened. And I also remember five, 10, 15, 20 year anniversaries that were, you know, wow. it was brought back up again. Never once did I hear or did I notice that 
this that the University of Texas clock tower sniper Charles Whitman killed his mother and his wife before he climbed that tower with an army-sized arsenal. And I remember about the tumor, uh, but I don't know. He seemed like a damaged person from the get-go. And I personally think he was damaged by his father. Maybe damage isn't the right word. I believe his father made a monster out of him instead of a human being. But of course, I don't have any actual insight. The whole thing is just horrible. But I do want to focus on the family he murdered. That is what interests me about the Texas clock tower sniper event. It was a big part of my growing up. Well, big part. I remember hearing about it. There were anniversaries of it. Like nowadays, it would be this or that school shooting. It would be yeah, we don't um, have things like that. Yeah, this was the thing that 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 triggered all that. That's I, that right. was hor- That pun was not intended, by the way. Yeah. No, um, no, uh, no, but no, it on. it really is sort of the the impetus for the you know American cultural awareness of the idea of a mass shooting yes, and how, you know, hair's breadth away we are in a culture that reveres guns, you know? Well, and doesn't talk about stress and doesn't talk about internal emotional struggle. That's really, I think, because, you know, we've had guns forever, but but what we've never had is open discussions about our home lives and what they're doing to us and how we feel uh, trapped or how we feel free. And what that looks like in the constraints of a family, right, of origin. And so I think that's the piece here that really went under the radar. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, now it's starting to seep out, so to speak, because now people who have been raised in uh, military schools or people who have been raised in uh, religious schooling and uh, homeschooled and a lot of other environments um, are coming out and saying, I was wounded. I was, I was scarred by this or that, that was perceived as the best parenting option on the, you know, you know, in the universe. Yeah. So, um, and I'm not, it's very individualized and to bring the Texas clock tower sniper into focus that this was one individual on circ under certain circumstances, um, he was raised and did these circumstances drive him toward a violent, um, operatic yeah. quality yeah, it's like behemoth, a behemoth of a, um, national event to get back at his father. Right. Just and I'm willing, and to, it, oh. I'm willing to believe that. I am too. He I, I'm right there with you, mom. It's really, um, it is. I mean, that's why I wanted to, you know, be a part of this discussion because you, you guys are the ones that brought to my attention. Cause I knew about the clock tower sniper and I found it to be a fascinating case. You know, I remember as a kid talking with you and dad about it and, um, this was a very interesting case. I had no idea he killed his mother. I had no idea he killed his wife and to, and, when you guys were researching this case and you showed it to me, I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is the, an essential, this, these murders are who are the window into who he was. 
you know, and how he suffered. And how many family murders are really part of a bigger story that just didn't play out the way this one played out? He still would have been caught for killing his mother and his uh, wife at some point. Oh, wow. Even if they had not let him into the clock tower under those false pretenses. You're right. If yeah. he'd never been able to carry out the rest of it, he still would have done these other acts. Right. Wow, what a scary twist. Yeah, yes. So you know? most of the material uh. we used for writing this episode came from the book by Gary Lavergine, A Sniper in the Tower. Please read that if you get a chance. It's at your library. There were also YouTubes about it and plenty of Wikipedia-type roundups. And again... Most focus on the mass killing and not the family behind it. So that ends our episode today. Anything you two want to say uh, in our final remarks about this case? Um, well, I'm just uh, um, to, you know, shove my sister aside for a minute. and <laughs> <laughs> Talk first. Yeah. <laughs> so predictable. Typical. <laughs> Typical. Um, no, I just I I'm so uh, honored and um, uh, glad to be here with you guys. That you, you know, when I told you that I really I think I just casually said I was like I really like this case particularly, Mom. You were just like come on our show, <laughs> and so I'm really glad you did. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Andy. What about you, Caroline? Any final remarks about this? I really liked the story, yeah, because of the level of complex detail and and humanity. There's just, it's oozing with humanity. And so I get connected to stories like that. So thanks for bringing it up. And Andy, it was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Here's here's what I normally say uh, when Andy's not here. Today's episode is researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline, produced by Andy. Okay, that just went in the toilet. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be back to the poop. (laughs) Yeah. Our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. Episodes are aired every other week. If you like us, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Under Apple Health, Apple Health, under Apple, (laughs) uh, (laughs) under Apple Podcasts, uh, you actually get more notice if you get the reviews than you do if you get the subscriptions, although they both count. So give us a review. Tell your friends about us in person and by social media. All these actions help new listeners find us. And thank you because we really appreciate our listeners. And one more thing, please don't forget to live and let live. Bye, Caroline. Bye, Andy. Bye. Bye, Mom. Bye, Caroline. Bye, you too. It's great seeing you.